today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. said when you travel the best way to travel and he traveled a lot he said the best way to travel is carry on luggage because again you just take it and you go you take it and you go you're not waiting for anything you're not being held back by anything primarily it's not going to get lost in the shuffle it's just going and again for you and I as believers we have to realize that everything that we have here is going to burn it's all going to burn Carry on luggage, just travel light. Travel light in this world. And again, I believe that we build up strength and presence in the next. It's important to realize that the life you're living right now is not your final destination. This is not it. There's so much more on the other side. Pastor David teaches you today that you're only here to serve Jesus and to help others come to know Him. As you live your life to try to fully grasp this, It means that if you're in God's will, you truly have nothing else to be concerned with. It means that life can be as simple as love Jesus and share His love with others. Don't make things harder than they need to be. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. As he begins his message, there was only one Simon. One of the things that you know, uh, if you don't know, you ought to know. We all ought to be absolutely clearly understanding of this, that the church has enemies. The church has always had enemies. Uh, the church has had enemies on the outside, and the church has had enemies on the inside. Yeah, on the inside, believe it or not. And we are going to be looking tonight at the two letters that Peter wrote for us, First and Second Peter. And in these, he deals with both of these issues, enemies on the outside, enemies on the inside. Now, Peter's public ministry lasted probably for about 30 years or so from the time that he was up in, in Galilee with the Lord uh, until the final days of our Lord's uh, earthly ministry there in Jerusalem. Then we find from the book of Acts that Peter stayed there in Jerusalem for quite a season. And then he went out and he began traveling, again, missionary journeys, uh, again, seeking where, where, as wherever the Lord would lead him until we know that finally he ended up in Rome for a time. We understand that not only from uh, the book of Acts, but we also understand it just from uh, the history that we, that we know of the area. One of the other things that we know, that there was only one Simon Peter. There was only one Simon Peter. As a matter of fact, uh, there, there was only one Peter that we know of in the Bible, but Simon Peter, the guy we're talking about, he was a unique individual. Uh, can I 
get an amen on that. If, if you know anything about Peter and his history, particularly when we look at the Gospels and you think, really, Lord, that's the guy you called. Uh, you, didn't, you, didn't, uh, you, know, you didn't call headhunters. You didn't call somebody to kind of check out his background at all. You called Peter to be one of your guys. And as a matter of fact, he ends up being one of the main guys, one of the leaders of the group. And we, we know, again, through the Gospel records that uh, Peter, along with James and John, they, they were the three on what many people call the inner circle, the Peter, James, and John. But how many of you are teachers here tonight, or you have been teachers in the past, okay? Where is the best place to put the problem children? Right in front, right tight, close to you. That's where I see Peter, James, and John. James and John, the sons of thunder. Peter, the guy with the mouth the size of his foot because he's always has, he has this foot and mouth disease. Uh, he's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He, he seemed to be bigger than life in, in a lot of ways. He was, he was bolder than a lion most of the time. Uh, he was about as tactful as a rhinoceros uh, nearly all the time. And yet, even through that, we see in his heart, there's this compassion and this passion for the things of Christ. In his workings, in his flesh, Peter seemed to be more emotionally driven than, than pragmatic or spirit-driven, at least in his earlier days. He was quick to jump in, and at times, uh, other times, uh, he was actually asleep on the job. And again, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know exactly what I'm speaking about. And, and Peter is the kind of guy that when he did not know what to do, he was more than willing to do something. And more often than not, it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, he was such an easy individual to be able to pick on because, man, the word of God is so, I mean, it, it just reveals everything, the, the warts, the stains, the cracks, everything. And we see, Lord, if you can use a guy like Peter, then maybe, just maybe, you might be able to use me. So many of us can relate to the, the weaknesses of Peter some, we can look at the, the strength of some of his moral characteristics, and we can say, yeah, I kind of have that you know, in, in, in my life. I have that kind of type A personality. I'm, I'm kind of a, a pusher in that kind of a way. And yeah, the Lord can use that. But let's not forget about the man, Peter, that was willing to stand up boldly to, to speak the truth of the gospel before hostile crowds as well as the religious and the secular authorities once he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, prior, prior to his empowering of the Holy Spirit in his life, when a little milkmaid asked him, wait a minute, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He, he began swearing and cursing and, and left the presence of them because, again, he couldn't stand that pressure. Well, it, it was not too many days later, after the falling of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that Paul stood up before a crowd of Jewish people and said, you're the ones that crucified the very one that came for you. You're the one that crucified the Messiah. And he's the very one that once he was arrested and brought before all the religious authorities of the time, the full Sanhedrin, that he stood there. And he is the one that said, look, rather it's right in your eyes to obey man rather than God. You be the judge. But as for me, we're going to obey God. That's bold. But beloved, that's not the person of Peter. That's the Spirit of God working through the person of Peter, okay? So 
those things in your characteristics and in my characteristics that many times can, can get us into deep trouble, God can take those very characteristics and use them for his glory. Amen? Okay, some of you know that by experience because you've seen it in the person sitting next to you. But uh, <laughs> in the earlier chapters of, of, of the book of Acts, uh, and, and actually on through chapters 10 and 11, we pretty much see the, the ministry of Peter. We see uh, not only the boldness there on, uh, at the day of Pentecost and, and following after that, we see that very quickly he is uh, leading the church. He goes through the whole ordeal of Ananias and Sapphira. And we've been studying Acts on, on Sunday, and we, we've seen his actions and his willingness to again follow the Spirit of God. We also, as we go through those chapters in Acts, we're going to see where he steps out and he goes and ministers directly to a, a Gentile household, Cornelius. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit fall upon them, and then he comes and stands at their defense before the rest of the apostles, the rest of the elders there in Jerusalem, says, look, we've seen God work in their life just like he's worked in our life. We cannot say that they're either less of a Christian or that they're not a Christian because we see the evidence of God working in their life. We see this all through his life. We see from supernatural healings. We see casting out of demons. We see the raising of young Tabitha from the dead. God used Peter in a very powerful and a unique way. But we also find that later on, there's this little issue between he and Peter. That's got to be quite the the dynamic relationship between Peter and Paul. And uh, you kind of look at them and you say, both of these guys, dynamic men of God, I believe both of them what we say today is A personalities, Yet we also see that in the midst of that, there was a little bit of a a conflict. Remember when uh, Peter was kind of hanging out with the Gentiles until the Jews from Jerusalem came, and then he kind of backed away, and Paul saw that happening. He says, hey, you can't be doing that. So I, I say all that to remind each one of us that even after the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in his life, he was not perfect. There were still issues in his life, just like in Paul's life. And we won't get into that tonight because we won't have time. But in each one of our lives, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, guess what? He still works through you and me. And and the weaknesses and the strengths that we have, he is the one that's working through them. And again, in the midst of that, sometimes, man, God is blessed in a supernatural, powerful way. Other times, in the midst of that, we see, oh, man, if only... I had listened to the Spirit instead of listening to the flesh, to the world, to, to, to whatever other influence that may come. The book of 1 Peter is, is written to believers that have been scattered, as, as you see there in uh, verse 1, that have been scattered through Pontius and Galatian, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia during what's called the dispersia, dispersia, uh, the, desperia, the, the dispersion of, uh, again, the believers. But it was a dispersion of Jews primarily. That's where the first dysphoric came about, was a dispersion of Jews throughout uh, the the Roman Empire. But then as the persecution continued to build for the Jews after the stoning of Stephen, we find that Christians then were also dispersed. You need to understand also, and I believe that you do as we've been going through Acts, is that the Christian faith 
again, as we shared in, in Acts, for a short time being, it was just a sect. It was a, a portion of Judaism until, again, the Jews, again, got weary of the fact that they were the ones that had crucified the Messiah. They got weary of hearing the truth of the gospel, and so they continued to turn on persecution toward the Christians. So first of all, the Jews came against them, but then also the Romans came against them, and again, through that, they continued to to be spread out in, and these uh, five areas that he speaks about there, those five regions, actually, uh, all of those are in the area of what we now know as kind of northern Turkey in that area, and so that's where Peter is writing to. Letter was probably written sometime around 60 to 64 AD, depending upon who you read around that time anyway, is where it was. And although the persecution was was widespread even at that time, the severity of the persecution was, was only beginning really to ramp up. In an article in the Christian Courier, uh, a fellow by the name of Wayne Jackson, uh, the article was titled, Nero Caesar and the Christian Faith. He writes, one of the most despicable manifestations of human flesh ever to disgrace this planet was Nero Claudius Caesar. Born in AD 37, Nero was educated at the feet of the philosopher Seneca, whom he eventually forced to commit suicide. Nero murdered his way to the imperial throne, which he occupied from AD 54 to 68. His life was characterized by debauchery, violence, he caused his own mother to be killed, and total overwhelming extravagance. In AD 64, a terrible fire broke out in Rome. It was strongly believed that Nero deliberately torched the city in order to justify building a more splendid one. At any rate, the fire raged out of control for more than a week, substantially destroying about 70% of the area. As a consequence of this tragedy, the widespread belief in Nero's complicity, the emperor became the brunt of intense criticism. The ruler seized upon a plan. Due to the fact that Roman sentiment was hostile toward Christianity, the emperor would blame the followers of Jesus for this crime. And thus did he, in AD 64, a fierce persecution was launched against the saints in Rome. And you've probably read about the fact that he would uh, uh, impale Christians after they've been covered with tar and light them on fire to light his gardens as he could walk or ride his chariots through there. And again, all the atrocities, the grossness of the man Nero. Well, you need to understand that the writings of First and Second Peter was just before the intensity of Nero's push in hostility. Now, Nero was already there. Persecution was already there. But this was just before this. So it's almost as though when Peter speaks to them about standing strong in times of persecution, that, that he is speaking prophetically to them. Because even though there is persecution, it's kind of like you ain't seen nothing yet because it's going to come even worse. Where is your faith right now? So we, we see these, these pilgrims of the diaspora scattered uh, due to a, a number of reasons. But again, the greatest of these was the Roman persecution 
against the Jews, and then later the, the Romans against the Christians. There seems to be no doubt here that, that Peter is writing to a mixture of believers that are both Jewish believers and Gentile converts to Christianity. Uh, the phrases that he uses, the illustrations that he draws from, a lot of references from the Old Testament. Uh, all of that would definitely connect the believers with a background or, or of having Jewish roots. But throughout his letter, he also connects with those that, that would have been ignorant, pretty much, of the, uh, of the Jewish faith. Look with, at me with just a couple of real quick, there's several in here, but we're not going to take the time. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 14, he writes to them, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. That's not the way that he would have written to a Jew, but it would have been a way that he would have written to a Gentile because a Gentile at that time, they were just pretty much given over to pagan worship and the pagan worship was again just filled with every lust and every desire of the human flesh. Uh, Down in verse 18, he says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, speaking primarily of idol worship, you know, going with the silver and the gold, because again, that wasn't the sacrifices of the Jews. The the Jews would have given animal sacrifices, again, being redeemed through those things, or at least with that kind of a concept. And, And again, the tradition from your fathers, that's again, passing down these pagan religions from one generation to the next. And look over in chapter two, uh, this will be the last one, verse 10. And here, the ones he's speaking to, he also says, you who once were not a people, but you now, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, that's not phrases that you would speak to a Jew. Uh, to a Jew, uh, again, they were the people of God. God had given that covenant relationship to them way back in Abraham. You, as the people of God, he would, spo- he would have uh, spoken to them. But here he's speaking, you were not even a people, but now you are the people of God. So again, uh, the, he uses both. He uses a lot of Old Testament phraseology. He uses a lot of things that speak to someone who would have been a Jew, but he also speaks to a lot that were Gentiles in all Peter understood that these, as well as all believers, they had to live out the truth of their faith if their faith was true. They had to live out the truth of their faith if their faith was true. That's not in order to make my faith true. No, if my faith is true, I will be living out the truth of that faith. It's a lot like what we looked at at James last week. James saying, you say you have faith, that's great. But I'm going to show you my faith by my works. And that's, again, even Peter here, and we're going to look at it as we look at these two books. He speaks to them very much, again, linking together doctrine and practice. Doctrine and practice. It's good to have good doctrine you got to have good doctrine. you got bad doctrine, you're going to be messed up. Okay. But if your doctrine doesn't have practice, it becomes, again, faith without works being dead. you got to have good works. We are called in Christ. We are His workmanship created in Christ 
to do good works. We've got to have that. But if we don't have the right doctrine, then we're going to be doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. We need both of those, and that's what Peter speaks about throughout these passages. Let's look into what he speaks here. First of all, he talks to them, they're pilgrims. Folks, the the reality is I don't care where you and I are living. I don't care how long you're in Casa Grande or if you're just a passing through. The fact is, is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, every one of us are just a passing through. Every one of us are pilgrims on a journey. We are, again, we we have not arrived at our final destination. Our final destination is in the presence of Almighty God for all of eternity. That's where the goal is. That's where the direction is. That's where God is leading us. And if we grab hold of this world too strong, that it's going to affect our journey. It's going to affect our journey. I'm not saying it's going to affect our destination, but I'm saying it will affect our journey. Gail Irwin, uh, many of you may have uh, seen or heard or been under teachings with uh, Gail Irwin. Uh, Love the guy. He's just absolutely hilarious. Strong believer in the Lord. And years and years ago, he did a message about uh, carry-on luggage. Carry-on luggage. He said, when you travel, the best way to travel, and he traveled a lot. He said the best way to travel is carry on luggage because, again, you just take it and you go. You take it and you go. You're not waiting for anything. You're not being held back by anything. Primarily, it's not going to get lost in the shuffle. It's just going. And, again, for you and I as believers, we have to realize that everything that we have here is going to burn. It's all going to burn. Carry on luggage. Just travel light. Travel light in this world. And again, I believe that we build up strength and presence in the next. So we we need to understand they are pilgrims just as you are. And I love what he says in verse 2. Your elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I got the chance uh, this last weekend to speak at uh, the men's conference up in Payson, and my passage was actually the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, as a prisoner of the Lord, that you walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. And I said, well, we don't know what that calling is unless we back up into the book of Ephesians. So we began at the beginning, which is a great place always to start. But again, at the beginning, he is speaking about the election and the foreknowledge of God. And I told him, all these Calvary men that were there, I said, some of you guys that are closet Calvinists are getting really excited right now. Uh, But the the fact is, is that understanding of the knowledge of God, his election, his calling, and his purposes for each one of us, that cannot be denied. I don't care who you are and what your belief is. The sovereignty of God speaks of the reality and the truth of those things. Well, he says, man, because you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, you are sanctified in his spirit for what? For obedience. And that sprinkling, that covering, that washing of the blood of Christ. Oh, he goes on to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to what? His abundant mercy. He has begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's begotten us into an inheritance. 
an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled, and it's not going to fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.